0: At any time in your life, did you ever believe there was a risk that you would run out of toilet paper before all of this began? Maybe if you were camping. Who packed the toilet paper? Hmm, I thought that was you. No, it wasn't me. Did you pack any toilet paper? No. Fortunately, the forest is full of a lot of other things. You didn't want to have to resort to forest ingenuity when it came to your own bathroom, right? Well, we are at a situation right now where toilet paper is starting to fill itself back in, but we have seen other things that have been difficult to find. And whether we blame panic buying or what, I have no idea. What was the next thing to go after toilet paper? People were at home. They were baking, it looks like, so flour became an issue. You couldn't find flour or baking soda, things like that, baking powder, I guess. They're two different things, right? I don't put baking soda in my cake. That's right. I don't put baking soda in my cake, baking flour, right? So that became an issue. What exactly could we see next in terms of supply chains? Because COVID-19 and this fight against this pandemic, in this pandemic, this has become something of a an unknown and unpredictable entity, and you don't know what it is that you're going to have to be without for a little while next. Let's talk a little bit about supply chains. We are joined right now by Professor Sarah Berger Richardson, and Professor Richardson is an assistant professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa. Professor Richardson, thanks so much for being here.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: When we go back to the beginning of this, toilet paper was one of those panic buys. We had the story last week of some guy in Australia trying to return $9,000 worth Canadian of toilet paper that he thought he could sell to people for jacked up prices. Turns out he was wrong. So that's kind of evened itself out. Then we saw flour. Have we seen anything else that you would point to to say that supply chain of that item was interrupted?
1: So well, actually, there have been different kinds of interruption. The toilet paper and the flour really came from an increase. In demand. People, i say some was panic buying, but some of the flowers, people were home and suddenly cooking a bit more. Um, so there's been disruptions at that end. But there's also kind of more complicated ones in that some products are not designed to be going to grocery stores. So we actually had, we had stories of products actually being dumped, milk that was dumped, um, possibly also animals now that will be euthanized on the farm, where in that case, The demand is there and the supply is there, but the supply chains are meant to go to restaurants, are meant to go to bigger facilities, and so they're just not designed to be going to the consumers. So there's a real disconnect right now in the supply chain, and that's making things quite complicated.
0: Right, and that doesn't sound like it could have been predictable in any way. If you're talking about, okay, we've got to have enough to go to restaurants, we've got to have enough to go to that added demand that now seems to be diminished, would we call the demand diminished?
1: Um, well, the demand is just, it, it's it's been shifted. So the demand is there, but people now want that food to eat at home as opposed to eating it at a restaurant. And it's the connecting that food and getting it to the right people that's making things so complicated, but I think in some ways it it could have been predicted in the sense that you know there are a lot of people who have been saying that our food systems have become too specialized, too concentrated, um, and you know one producer, one you know examples from Alberta where one meat processing processing facility is responsible for forty percent of all the beef process in the country. You know, those kinds of systems are destined to fail if there's ever um, a crisis or a bump in the road. So I think this, this could have been prevented if we had more um, local and more resilient local food systems.
0: We're talking with Professor Sarah Berger-Richardson, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa, and we're looking at the shifting of supply chains and the impact that has had. And, Professor Richardson, you talked about the pouring out of milk. Now, if all of a sudden we're talking about animals and perhaps even slaughterhouses, can you explain the change there and and what may have to happen or how they might deal with it?
1: Yes, so there have been a number of reports. Of COVID outbreaks at different meat processing plants across the country, um, there was one. There are a few that have closed in Quebec, and they've but they've reopened um, after they closed down to be cleaned. In Alberta, um, some big facilities that have had COVID uh, are still operating, but on a reduced schedule. Uh, you know, in that sense, they're trying to make things safe for their employees. Um, but as a result of this you know, we are going to see a bit of a disruption in in the meat supply. Um, but also, you know, these places are really dangerous places to be working at the best of times because employees are working, um, it's, it's hands-on work, it's back work, they're standing elbow to elbow working on deboning and doing all the things they need to do to inspect the food. But now, um, where there's a risk of transmission, they're really, really dangerous places, and so... The question, and it's a really hard dilemma, is what do you do? Do you close the facility to protect the employees, but then have farmers stuck with animals that they won't be able to sell, or do you keep them open um, and put the employees at risk? Um, because also the stories of producers having to um, euthanize their animals on the farm is just—it's you know, heartbreaking on so many levels.
0: Absolutely. And you raise excellent points. I mean, and and it doesn't sound like there's really a right answer or an easy answer there, is there?
1: No, I think right now we're in a really difficult position and it's really quite tragic. But I think, you know, the idea is to see this crisis and see how we're in a really difficult place and think about how we can improve things going forward so this doesn't happen again.
0: And I guess you hinted before, Professor Richardson, at the way that farming has evolved. And now you have certain farming operations responsible for so much or such a high percentage. Is that something that somebody, perhaps the government, needs to examine and and maybe restrict?
1: Um, I think it certainly does have to examine it. Um, and there's been pressure on, on the government before, uh, at provincial, but also federal levels. You know, we have a, a national food policy that's in the works, and there's been, you know, money set aside for this over the past year. And I'm, it, it's been kind of slow to develop, but it's in the early stages. And I think this is really a place where that food policy will have to kind of be focused to think about how we can try to break down the concentration increase the diversification um, of facilities and and kind of go from there.
0: We're talking right now on London Live with Professor Sarah Berger Richardson, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa about supply chains. That's the, I guess, the the policy side of things. How about what we see in in our own personal side of things? Do you expect to see it? Difficult to find as much meat in our grocery stores, or is that still to be seen?
1: Well, from what I'm seeing, um, the experts who are tracking this seem to suggest that you know there will be a slight disruption, but I don't think it's. But it doesn't seem like it's going to be, uh, you know, a complete absence of meat. Um, so, you know, there will be disruptions, but not a, hu- not a huge amount, but I think this might be a bit of a wake-up call for consumers to ask a few more questions about, you know, where their meat comes from, to pay a bit more attention to who's, who's producing it, who's processing it, um, how it's getting to them. And I really hope that this crisis encourages people to ask more questions about where their food comes from and to think about it.
0: And what is the best way to to look for answers to those questions? Do we want to see local, 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 or do we just want to make sure we're not seeing certain things?
1: Well, I mean, the local, 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 I think we have to be careful because we don't want to find find ourselves in this kind of two-tiered system where few people who can afford the highest quality meat and they can buy it directly from a farm um, are able to have that and everyone else. Um, is stuck with with uh, lesser quality uh, or more unethical products I mean I think we want to find this, uh, the sweet spot in the middle i mean it 's kind of called in in the academic world uh, the agriculture of the middle to find that middle ground where you know m- the majority of people can access Uh, this kind of food. So I think in that sense, you know, it's great for people to go to farmer's markets. It's great for people to sign up, you know, for baskets that they they can have delivered. Um, And that's a really good way to show that there's an interest and show that there's demand. Um, But I think we also are going to need government intervention to think about this, to really shift the really big production towards uh, a different model.
0: We really appreciate your time, Professor Richardson. Thank you so much for all of the insight, and thank you for monitoring this.
1: Well, thank you very much. Have a good day.
0: Have a good day. Stay safe. That is Sarah Berger Richardson, Assistant Professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Ottawa.